I've titled this, Offense the, block, the Blessing Blocker. Offense the Blessing Blocker. We're speaking on managing offense and dealing with bitterness. Managing offenses and dealing with bitterness. If you want to walk in love, if you want to be a lover, if you want to be a lover of God and a lover of people, you must pay attention to how you manage offenses and how you deal with bitterness. Philippians chapter 1, verse number 9 down to 11. This scripture is a prayer written by Paul to the church at Philippi to the end that their love may grow. And as I read it this morning, we're also going to personalize it and say it, and you're going to turn it to a prayer for yourself. Philippians chapter 1, I read from verse 9 from the New King James Version. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense, that you may be sincere and without offense. I love to emphasize this part of, part of this passage, that you may be sincere and without offense. That means it's possible to live a life that is without offense. It is possible to live a life that is without offense. So Paul, writing this prayer here, he said that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruit of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Uh, I, I read this same passage from the message translation of the Bible, uh, um, Philippians chapter 1, verse 9 down to 11. It reads this way. Uh, um, it says, so this is my prayer, that your love will flourish, that you will not only love much, but well. Yeah, that you will not only love much, but well. Very interesting. Learn to love appropriately. You need to use your head and test your feelings so that your love is sincere and intelligent. Not sentimental gush. Live a lover's life, circumspect and exemplary. A life Jesus will be proud of. Bountiful in fruits from the soul, making Jesus Christ attractive to all. Getting everyone involved in the glory and praise of God. So there's a way I can love and I will make Jesus Christ attractive to all. There's a way I can live my life and I can pay lip service to my discipleship of Christ and call myself a Christian, but yet my life is not attracting people to Jesus because they cannot see the love of God in me. Yeah, they cannot see the love of God in me. Because before they say one, I would have said three. Yeah. Before they, they throw one punch, I would have thrown ten. Yeah. Whether emotional or physical punch. Because the love of God is not in my heart. Uh, the news flash this morning, the news flash is that offenses will come. Yeah, offenses will come. Offenses will definitely come to you. Whether you say amen or not. <laughs> offenses will come. How do I know? Jesus declared it in Luke 17 and verse number 1. He said, it is impossible but that offense, that no offense should come, 
but woe to him through whom they do come. And if Jesus said something is impossible, that means it's impossible. It is impossible, but that offense will come. So he only says woe to him, the object of offense, or the one who causes offense. But offense will not come, it's impossible. Why was he so emphatic about the fact that offense will come? I took my time to study on this a bit. And one of the, the things I've realized is that offense will abound on this earth simply because we live in an imperfect world made up of imperfect people and it generates imperfect circumstances. So because of that, offenses will always abound. Yeah, offenses will always abound. Imperfect people dwelling in an imperfect world generating imperfect circumstances there will be grievances, there will be misunderstandings, there will be offenses. Praise God. <laughs> I said, praise God. So offenses will always come, and it will definitely come. Definitely come. There will always be offense. Uh, so you will be offended by people. You will be offended by people. And then you can be offended with God. Some people have taken it to a new level. They finish with human beings, they move to God. Yeah. As I'm speaking here this morning, I reckon with the fact that there may be somebody listening to me, somebody watching on the internet, somebody who will watch this on TV, who is offended with God. This message is for you. Yeah. Because I want us to resolve it with this message that you don't have to be offended with God. You can resolve it. You can gain understanding and walk free of offense, whether with man or with God. It's very dangerous to be offended with God. Yeah. When people start to judge God by what they have or what they don't have, or what pain they're going through or, or, and things like that, you, 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 you judge God unfaithful and then you become offended. There's a lot for you to learn from this message. So I, I need you to just give me your good attention. Hebrew... Uh, Chapter 12, book of Hebrews, chapter 12, uh, from verse 14. The Bible says here, it says, Pursue peace with all people, and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. It says, Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble. By this many become defiled, lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for a morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterwards, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. He sought it diligently with tears. The Bible says here in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 14, pursue peace. I'm still talking about the, the, uh, the need for you to be the kind of person who wants to master offenses and master how to deal with bitterness because you can't do it without being somebody who is willing to pursue peace. It says pursue peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. The pursuit of peace it's my responsibility, and it has to be intentional. 
So pursue peace. It's your responsibility. Peace follows intentionality. It does not happen by accident. I have to be intentional. When you, the, the, you know, the word pursue, that verb pursue, it speaks of action, something that I'm doing intentionally. Yeah. You can't pursue standing still. You have to take action to pursue. Some people are looking for peace, but they are not pursuing it. You're looking for a better relationship, but you are not pursuing it. You want to have a better relationship with your boss, but you are not pursuing peace. Before your boss says one, you, you will say two. Yet, you say one day, peace will come to this office. <laughs> How will peace come into this office? Because you are not pursuing peace. And the Bible says, pursue peace with all men, and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. It's important for you to understand that the pursuit of peace is not passive. Yeah. It means you do all you need to do to arrive at peace. It's not passive. You do all you need to do to arrive at peace. All you need to do to arrive at peace. And it's important because peace helps you to see clearly. Like I was saying before, it's not about heaven or hell. It's about how you will see God in your situation right now. Offense opens the door for the devil. That's what it does. Because the Bible says, lest, lest there be any root of bitterness springing up and, you know, cause trouble, and by this many become the farmer. That is opening the door for the farmer. The accuser of the brethren, Satan, who accuses us day and night before God, at some point sees that you're wearing a defiled garment. Like it happened for Joshua uh, in, in, in the book of uh, Zechariah. I think Zechariah chapter 3. Yeah. The Bible says Satan stood at his right hand and was accusing him. Then at some point said, take away the filthy garment for me. And said, God said to tell you, I'll give you a garment of rich robes. Yeah. So there's a point a person gets to. And as long as uh, uh, Joshua was wearing that garment, as a high priest of Israel at that time, the rebuilding of Jerusalem was not possible. That project was delayed just because of that one person who was allowed a critical heart and a heart that can be accused of the devil. If you don't forgive, the devil will stand at your right hand. It's a premise to tell God this person cannot be forgiven. You must not forgive him too. You must not open the heavens over his life. That's what the devil does. And you need to be aware of that. Offense blocks favor. Yeah. Esau was eventually rejected, according to that scripture. He begged, but he was rejected. Favor could not flow. So in managing offenses, it's uh, more about the state of the person's heart and how you guard your heart. Not the predicament that you're going through. Let me tie this all up in a case study. Let's, let's look at John the Baptist and Paul and Silas. Two people who landed in jail, albeit wrongly. They did not do anything really to warrant being jailed. One decided to blame somebody for a situation and hold the person in his heart, while the other ones just lifted up praise to God 
and two different things happen. You see how management of offense can be very critical to the fulfillment of destiny. In Luke chapter 7, the story of John the Baptist there, uh, before I read, I want to create a premise. John the Baptist confronted the king on the day who took his brother's wife. And because of that, he landed in jail. He was just an advocate, I mean, for morality or whatever you want to put it. And what he expected was that Jesus, who was the man of God of the day, the crowd had gone after him. Everybody knew that there was a great prophet in town, Jesus, who happened to be his cousin, should bail him out of jail. So when Jesus refused to come, <laughs> this was what happened. John the Baptist, the Bible says in verse 18 of Luke 7, uh, then the disciples of John reported to him concerning all these things, and, um, and John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to Jesus, saying, Are you the coming one, or will look for another? Verse 20, When the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? And verse 21, and that, and that very hour, he cured many infirmities, talking about Jesus, afflictions and evil spirits, and to many blind, he gave sight. And then he responded. After all those things have happened. In verse 22, Jesus answered and said to them, go and tell John the things you have seen and heard. That the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them. And verse 23, the clencher. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Because of the question that John the Baptist asked in his predicament, Jesus says this was coming out of a heart that is offended. Now, let me explain it a little better. John told everybody there, was, there, there will be one that will come after me whose shoelace I cannot, I'm not even worthy to touch. He is this, he is that. And when John saw him in the midst of everybody, he looked at Jesus. Behold the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world. When God gave John a word, what he said was that when you baptize, look out for the one. That when you baptize him, the heaven will be open. That is the Messiah. At River Jordan, John baptized Jesus. Lowered him. When he did, the heavens opened. God spoke from heaven. John saw it and heard it. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Now, John was kept in prison. The whole idea was to warn him not to allow his mouth to run. That was all. Herod said, let's keep him there for a few days. The truth was that if they had anything to hold against him, you know, like we do in this part of the world, they would just bring one file. They would bring his American bank account and flash it to him and say, Pastor John, where did you get all this money? And John would just go quiet. Am I saying the truth? But John happened to be a man of integrity. He lived in the wilderness. He was 
sackcloth and ashes. He didn't like um, any exotic cuisines. It was just locusts and white honey. So when he dug into John's record, there was nothing to hold John. So the only thing they could do was to uh, just inflict some bit of pain on him by keeping him there so that after a few days, they would tell him, if you don't want us to keep you longer next time, don't say anything. That was the whole idea. But because it persisted for a few more days, John became offended at Jesus for not coming to bail him out. You see, it's not bad to ask God questions. But when you ask a question because you are offended, it will close the heavens over your life. It was a stupid question that John was asking. Allow me to say it like that. Because I needed to understand that sometimes we say very stupid things to God or about God when we are going through stuff. The same God that is faithful from generation to generation. Now because somebody walks out of your life, you say, where is God? Where is God? <laughs> Why me? You know some people will have gone to meet John. John, what kind of thing is that? Your cousin, he still goes around healing everybody and you're here. And he can just wave his hand like this, they will release you. <laughs> With that, the heart of John becomes broken more and more. Until he then sent his disciple and he walked in full-blown unbelief. Are you the one to come? <laughs> when he saw God said, this is my beloved son in human, well please. Now you started to doubt the veracity of the person of Jesus. And Jesus said, blessed is he who is not offended in me. If there's anyone here listening to me right now and you are offended with God huh, in your heart because of what you have let go today. So that what happened to John will not happen to you. In the same vein, in Acts 16, Paul and Silas were kept in jail. When you read from verse 25, the Bible says at midnight, they sang praises to God. Your attitude and reaction to offense and hurt is important. That's what determines whether the heavens will be shut over your life or God will come to the rescue and soothes your heart and lifts you to a new level. It's not about what you are going through. It's about who you are in your heart. It's about the attitude that you are allowing to come in. They were kept in jail because they preached the gospel. They didn't say, God, what kind of God are you? Are you, is it not your gospel we are preaching and then they are not throwing us in jail? No. They sang praises to God. They kept a good attitude. Are you keeping a good attitude when you are hurt? Or are you celebrating the hurt and romancing it and making it bigger to the point that you are now wishing somebody dead? Yeah. As they sang praises to God, what happened? The Bible says there was an earthquake. The gates were open. They did not pray for the gates to be open. They just kept a good attitude of praise. How do I know? When the jailer came, brought out a sword to kill himself because he thought they had escaped. And because he was in charge of the prison, if they escaped, they're going to kill him. Paul ran and told him, no, don't kill yourself, we're still here. Our praise is not because we want to escape. We just love the Lord. We just have to keep a good attitude. Yeah. When the jailer heard that, he knelt down in front of Paul. Men and brethren, what can I do that I may become like you? I can be saved. 
<laughs> yeah. What may I do that I may be saved? He elevated them to the level of God. Yeah. Because the love of God was in their heart. No hatred, no bitterness. Eventually, they were released. If John had kept a good heart, he would have been released the same way. Can I encourage somebody here this morning? Don't wait to heal first before you forgive. Forgiveness is the pathway to healing. Yeah. Forgiveness is the pathway to healing. Don't wait to heal. You cannot be healed except you forgive. Some of us, the kind of hurt we're dealing with is so strong, even at the detriment of our lives, our businesses, our families, breaking apart, we still decide to romance them. <laughs> but you know in Luke 17, as I finally wrap this up, Luke 17, when they met, I mean, Jesus was telling them there, it's impossible that offense will, but offense will come and all that and all that. He said, if your brother offends you, he said seven times in a day, he said, forgive him. After he said that, the next thing the disciples ask is, Lord, increase our faith because we can't do this one. You see, some of us find it easy to release our faith for car, but you can't, find, you can't release your faith to walk in love. That's the problem. You find it easy to release your faith for a job, but you can't find it easy to release your faith to forgive your boss. You would rather release your faith to get another job. <laughs> See this kind of upside down Christianity. And God says, forgive your best boss first, your career will open up. You, they will be chasing you with four jobs. You know, you'll be picking and choosing. But just forgive. Yeah. Because he, asked, he said, Lord, increase our faith. And he told them, he said, if you have faith, just like a mustard seed, you will say to this small berry tree, be removed and be cast into the sea and it shall be so. So he said, what you need is just small faith. You will walk in love. If you can release small faith, eh, you will forgive. You, need, you don't need big faith to be a forgiver. You just need to make up your mind and allow grace to rest upon you. That I will practice advanced forgiveness, just like God has forgiven me in advance. Do you know that the sin you, you commit next year, God has already forgiven you now? Because he has made up his mind to love you. You can walk the same way and be like God, your father. And tell yourself, I've forgiven everyone that will hurt me in advance. So bring it on. When you are tired, you leave me alone. 